Joe Biden met with world leaders this weekend to discuss foreign policy at the G7 conference. And he couldn't even remember the difference between the most recent countries that we have bombed. Um, we could work together with Russia. For example, uh, in, uh, in Libya, we should be opening up the, 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 the passes to be able to go through and provide, uh, provide uh, um, food assistance and economic assi- I mean, vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. I think I'm going to try very much hard to, uh, it, it is, and by the way, there's places where, I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here, but let me say it this way. Russia has engaged in activities which are, we believe are contrary to international norms, but they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. And for example, the rebuilding of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, of, uh, of Libya, of, you know, this is, they're there. And uh, the, uh, in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, uh, uh, yeah, that, that was, the, Libya and Syria are different countries, though President Biden doesn't recognize that. He's, so this vibrant man got more votes than anyone ever in the history of voting. Or he's probably got more votes than Assad. Joe Biden's performance was a laughingstock, as was the whole G7 summit. But it won't matter because members of the ruling elite never seem to face consequences for their actions. From BLM race hustlers and hoax artists to the big tech oligarchs who just censored a U.S. senator just happened, to the self-loving Jeff Tubin getting reinstated on CNN after pleasuring himself on a Zoom call. But we will hold them to account. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Friday is from Socially Dangerous Element, who says, it sounds as if people who don't believe in the concept of sin are using the term whiteness as a stand-in for sin. That's true. That's exactly what they're doing. Uh, The difference, of course, between the traditional Christian understanding of sin and the current woke understanding of whiteness as sin is that in Christianity, there's redemption. (laughs) And in wokeness, there ain't no redemption, which is why you have the people who view whiteness as a sin saying, as they did in that major medical journal last week, that this is a disease, this is a terrible problem, and it requires a permanent cure. Permanent cure, you say. What does that mean? I don't know. It doesn't sound great. You know, if Jeffrey Tubin has taught us anything, it's that you've got to protect your data online. That's where ExpressVPN comes in. Did you ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode? Well, it says... If only Jeffrey Tubin had read this. It says that your activity might still be visible to your employer or your school or your internet service provider. To really stop people from seeing the sites that you visit, you need to do what I would strongly recommend, what I use all the time, ExpressVPN. Now, maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you're doing the Jeffrey Tubin thing. I'm saying you're looking at sites that maybe are not very popular with the ruling elite, you know, really nefarious, shameful. So I'm talking about dailywire.com. You know what I mean. Well, with that ExpressVPN, every site that you visit could be logged by the administrator of that network, even when you're in incognito mode. Do you really want your liberal parents to see that you've been looking at Ben Shapiro's show? Absolutely not. You can't do it. ExpressVPN is a great app. It, uh, it protects your data. 
One button you tap to connect. It's so simple. Stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Michael. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Michael to get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Michael to learn more. Joe Biden was a complete laughing stock. If anyone were laboring under the misapprehension that uh, Joe Biden is commanding the world stage or the national stage, or he's the strongest leader in the history with the greatest mandate to rule or whatever they're telling us. I think that fell apart over the, the G7 summit. The, the other leaders of the world literally were laughing at him because Joe Biden couldn't remember what was just said moments prior. And just say how brief I am uh, to welcome uh, those who have just joined us, bringing some pretty spectacular weather uh, with them, Prime Minister Modi, uh, President Ramaphosa, President Moon, in just a minute. And the President of South Africa. And, and, and the President uh, of South Africa, as, 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 I, as I said earlier. Oh, and you did, I did. No, I did, I did, I certainly did. But you get mention it twice, so. Uh, I, I'll go over that again. I'll, I'll, let me tell you, we're, we're, we're delighted. I'll, it's been, I'll, I'm, I'm going to say we're. we're we're joined by Prime Minister Modi. Oh gosh, it's so awkward. So Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK, is an, announcing everyone who's here. And we're joined by Prime Minister Modi, and we're joined by. And then Biden interrupts. He kind of comes back into the conversation. He really he kind of wakes up, and he says, "And the President of South Africa." And then Bojo, the, he, he's debating. You can hear he's debating. Like, yes, Uncle Joe, I already. I already introduced the president of South Africa. So, yes, yes, the president of South Africa is uh, just as uh, I well, as I as I said moments ago. Oh, you already said it. Uh, and then everyone laughs at him, and then he laughs later, still not quite getting the joke. Really embarrassing stuff. I, you know, I don't care what the rest of the world thinks of the United States during the Bush years, Bush two. And during the Trump years, Democrats rent their garments and gnash their teeth because they said, oh, no, the world is laughing at us. And first of all, I don't think that was true of, of those presidents, certainly not of Trump. And, uh, but e- even if so, who cares? I don't really, you know, it doesn't bother me. Uh, what bothers me is the advancement of the national interest. That's what I care about on the global stage. And uh, so that, that's fine. The, the problem here is that Joe Biden not only is a laughingstock to the rest of the world, but he is not advancing the American national interest. In fact, he's doing everything, I think, to undermine that in favor of an elite transnational liberal consensus that's dominated our politics for more than a quarter of a century. To show you how out of touch these people are with the constituencies that they rule, just consider how they all walked up and met one another. They framed this bizarre sort of video on the beach. And as they were walking up to greet one another, they, they, they poked their elbows. You know, they, wouldn't, they didn't shake hands, but they did their, the elbow thing. But what was strange about this stupid elbow, you know, where you bump the elbows, is that they, other than Trudeau, <laughs> the rest of them, the, the manlier of the bunch, I'm damning with faint praise, uh, did not have masks on. So they were acknowledging, yes, COVID is over. Uh, they have all been inoculated, I imagine. But they were still doing the bump. They were still doing this elbow bump. This conveys two very disturbing facts about our global elite. People think, oh, it's just this little minor thing. They're doing the elbow bump instead of shaking hands. No, it conveys two really disturbing facts. One, they think it's kind of funny. 
they, they think the whole thing is kind of, oh, he, 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 here I get, this is what we're doing. He, 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 look, we're going to bump elbows. Yeah, we shut down the global economy he, he, and we suspended everyone's political rights. Ha, ha, ha. And we closed churches. Tee, he, he, isn't this so funny? Isn't it? They're giggling. I mean, you can see them sort of laughing. Oh my gosh. I, you know, it's, it's the way that whenever you get on a Zoom call now, you have to joke about the fact that you're on a Zoom call. But that's the same thing with the elbows. The second thing that's disturbing about this is that the ruling elite, whether they know it or not, I'm, I'm not saying these are the most uh, self-aware people on earth, but whether they know it or not, are conveying their belief that the rituals that bind us together in society are just totally arbitrary. They're completely uh, random and we can change them willy-nilly without any effect using our own faculties of reason. So yes, for a very, very long time, we've all shaken hands. That's the, the way that we greet one another in society. But you know, who, who needs to do that? Now we're going to bump elbows. Why? Because these seven weirdos decided that we're going to do that. So because these weirdos who happen to have positions of power right now are deciding it, we all have to change our customs in the rest of the world. And that's perfectly fine. They'll force us to do it. There's no, there's no particular reason that customs have developed. We're just going to go along with the new normal. I don't think I'm reading too much into it. I mean, these symbols convey something and, uh, you know, words are symbols, these sort of actions and gestures are symbols, and those convey their understanding of the symbolized, their understanding of the world. I talk about this, by the way, at great length in my upcoming book, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available now for pre-order. I believe that book, there we go, it's a little delayed, but that's fine. I believe that book is out in eight days. We are now just over one week away. If you want a signed first edition copy, head on over to Premier Collectibles and get that today. What we have seen, certainly for the past several decades, but we're we're seeing now accelerating is the fact that for the elites, there are basically no consequences. They shut down the world for no reason. Oops. They were wrong about basically every aspect of this virus in their predictions. And in some cases, they outright lied to us, as in the case of Fauci. Whoopsie daisy, what you going to do about it? Too bad. Got to move on. Ha ha. The clearest example of this, of course, is Jeffrey Tubin. I think Jeffrey Tubin single-handedly, you might say, exposed the corruption of this elite group in the media and in politics. And it's all kind of part of the same blob. This guy gets caught doing something that would see anyone else ostracized from society, and he's allowed back on the air. Jeffrey Tubin joined CNN. It was what you might say a, a very touching interview. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin was there speaking to, I think this woman's name is Allison Camerata. I f- sort of forget the names of the liberal journalists, but I think that's who this one is. She's one of the gals at CNN, and it's her task to bring Jeffrey Tubin back into the mainstream. Take a listen. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Allison. It's been a while. It has been a while, indeed. I feel like we should address um, what's happened in the months since we've seen you, since some of our viewers may not know what has happened. So uh, I guess I'll recap. I'll do the honors. (laughs) Help yourself. Okay. Um, In October, you were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from the New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating on camera. Uh, You were subsequently fired from that job after 27 years of working there. And you, since then, have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, You got it all right, sad to say. 
so incredibly awkward, though Jeffrey Tubin really um, did not advance his own cause here, I think, because he, uh, the, the one thing he said as she was outlining all of these charges, she said, okay, so I'm just going to lay it out, right? He says, uh, help yourself. Not the best choice of words in the particular discussion that we're all having here. Very, very awkward discussion. Then Jeffrey Tubin gets into his explanation. Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much, and um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I think one point, I, I wouldn't exactly say in my defense, because nothing is really in my defense. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Uh, correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. This was deeply moronic and indefensible, but... I mean, that, that, is part of, that, that is part of the story. That is part of the story. So it is an excuse that he's making. And this is so interesting because this excuse, I think, will resonate with parts of the left and the right. But it, sh- it shows you how hollow it is. Namely, he's saying, look, I thought I was doing this, this bad thing in private. So it's not an excuse, but I thought I was doing it in private. But have you ever considered, I know in our liberal permissive society, we're not allowed to say this. Have you ever considered that maybe you shouldn't be doing that in private? that maybe the reason you feel shame of it being exposed is because the thing is bad to do in and of itself. Jeffrey Tubin explaining so much more in his defense of himself. Now, when things get a little crazy out there, as, as anyone who turns on the news will see, it's very good to invest in some precious metals. That's why I would recommend checking out Acre Gold. Acre lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as $30 a month. You pay each month. Once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. Acre has a new $100 a month subscription to a five gram gold bar. Acre keeps you updated on your gold stash every month and ships once you reach the price threshold. With Acre, taking physical delivery of that gold means that it is safe and sound and in your hands. I have always really enjoyed investing in precious metals. It's also a great uh, hedge against inflation which you're already seeing right now quite a lot with gas, lumber, and food prices. Uh, You don't need to come out of pocket all at once. You know, investing in physical gold can be a very expensive task if you don't do it the right way. Uh, But you can get started with Acre right now for just 30 bucks a month. Go to getacregold.com slash Knowles. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. That's getacregold.com slash Knowles. And thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. Jeffrey Tubin, the self-loving CNN legal analyst, is back on TV. They've mainstreamed him again. It's very awkward. Uh, the CNN hosts have to explain what he did. He's giving these excuses. And his big excuse is, I didn't know that I was on air. I, you know, I didn't, or rather, I didn't know I was on the Zoom call. I didn't know people could see me. This shows you how weak our moral discourse has become. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. However, there used to be an understanding in this society that you are never alone. (laughs) Someone is always watching. Even in the privacy of your darkest chamber, the good Lord above is watching. People can see what you're doing. You are accountable even for your private actions. But what, what we have now developed in this country, in our secular and permissive society, is this idea that in the privacy of your own home, in, in, in your own private life, 
you can do whatever you want. And we've considered this to be the height of liberty. Even though it's not liberty, it's licentiousness. And our founding fathers made a big distinction between the two. They're actually polar opposites. If you have a country in which everybody is doing all sorts of bad things in private, and they don't even feel shame for it, uh, then you're going to get a country that has a bad public sphere as well. Because the public sphere is going to just be all these private people doing things together. Jeffrey Tubin concludes his excuse. I have spent the seven subsequent months, miserable months in my life, I can certainly confess, um, trying to be a better person. I mean, in therapy, trying to do some public service, um, working in a food bank, which I certainly am going to continue to do, working on a new book about the Oklahoma City bombing. But I am trying to become the kind of person that people can trust again. I actually give him some credit here, but I think that he and the CNN audience probably don't understand the the reasoning that, that he's uh, advancing here. Why, why, if you get caught doing that thing on Zoom with your colleagues, why would you work in a food bank? <laughs> what, how is that going to, I get the therapy system and therapy for whatever is compulsive compulsions, but why the food bank? Because what he's saying is I'm giving in to sin and vice. And when you give in to sin and vice, that makes you a worse person. So now I'm going to try to do good things, acts of charity, pursue the virtues, and that's going to make me a good person and good people can be trusted. Now, I don't know how genuine he's being. I mean, this might just be a way to try to mainstream his career, but maybe, maybe he's being straight. I don't know. The point is what we do in private will affect our public square and the, the, so much of the right no longer acknowledges that because we've gone crazy with these bumper sticker slogans of individual rights. And they, we don't understand even what that meant in the context of the founding fathers. Because we don't know anything because we've got people who don't have any credibility telling it to us. Speaking of irresponsibility in the news, newspaper in Texas, the Austin American Statesman, said on Saturday that it will not publish the description that local law enforcement gave them of a man suspected of shooting 13 people. A guy shows up, shoots 13 people on Friday night, and the newspaper will not publish the description of that suspect because it could, quote, could be harmful in perpetrating stereotypes. (laughs) Which uh, uh, now I think everyone has an image of what this person is, but you're not allowed to say it. Editors note, Police have only released a vague description of the suspect shooter as of Saturday morning. The Austin American Statesman is not including the description as it is too vague at this time to be useful in identifying the shooter and such publication could be harmful in perpetrating stere- perpetuating stereotypes. If more detailed information is released, we'll update our reporting. So what does the suspect look like? Well, according to the Austin Police Department, he's a black male with dreadlocks wearing a black shirt and a skinny build. So he's a black guy, so they won't publish it. If he were a white guy, they would have published it. Remember when George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin got into, got into an altercation? It wasn't even just that it was completely use of force on the side of Zimmerman, and Trayvon Martin was not using force at all. You saw there were lots of injuries on, on Zimmerman too. But because in that case, and this was years ago, because they initially thought Zimmerman was a white guy, they published it, a white man hunting down a black teenager, and they pretended that, he, that Trayvon Martin was like six years old. And remember, they posted that very young photo of him. And then the narrative fell apart because Zimmerman's not a white guy. He's a Hispanic guy. And then they tried, they redefined it in the Times. They said he's a white Hispanic 
Hispanic. Is, they were doing anything they could to cl- grab onto their racial narrative, namely the one that LeBron James, for example, advances, that black men can't leave their homes without being hunted down by racist whites. In this story, that uh, doesn't work, that the narrative uh, falls apart in the face of these facts. And so the newspaper says, no, we can't do that because that would advance harmful stereotypes. This shows you a racial double standard that is, uh, when the facts contradict it, there are no consequences. Another example at Wayne State University, a black student at Wayne State University in Michigan claimed that she was part of two separate acts of vandalism because she is black. When I saw this story, I looked at it and I said, you know, I would bet a lot of money that that didn't happen. Now, the left, of course, assumed that it did because the left believes that America is a a racist, white supremacist, terrible place where black people can't leave their homes without being hunted down. We, of course, know that that is not true. We know that the only type of racism that is tolerated by the law and by society and even encouraged in some ways by the culture is against white people and to a lesser degree against Asian people. So you just look at that story and you say, no, that didn't happen. Turns out we were right. There, so here's this woman's claim. And the, the irony, of course, and this happens in a lot of these race hoaxes, is that the, the woman making the claims doesn't even look particularly black. On February 16th, right in the middle of Black History Month, somebody decided to vandalize my door. There was a Black Lives Matter sticker on it, and they threw eggs at my door. I reported it to my community director and to my RA. Nothing happened. The only thing that happened was my RA sent a message out to our floor saying that if we wanted to be discriminatory to take it off campus and off our floor. It happened again on March 1st, last Monday. This time it was much more severe. They basically got every single inch of my door with eggs. They got um, my pride flag, particularly the Black Lives Matter sticker was what they were aiming for. Um, At that point, I contacted the head of housing and I basically said that I wanted to leave. They were coming for me. They were coming for my dog, all because I was a black student living in their space. We want these people to be held accountable. We want people to know that black students will not be silenced in their space of education. You can't remove us from our homes and we will be getting educated. Now, if you listen carefully, first of all, I never believed this for a second, but if you listen carefully, she says, you know, they were throwing it at all my stickers, my pride sticker, my this, my that, but they were especially aiming at the Black Lives Matter sticker. Not that they especially hit the Black Lives Matter, but they were aiming. How does she know what they were aiming at? To, <laughs> to know how they were aiming rather than just what they hit, you would have to be the one who threw the eggs yourself, which is uh, what appears to have happened here. Now she is the, the main suspect in this. Uh, Jesse Smollett all over again. I actually detail probably a dozen or more of these race hoaxes in my upcoming book, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Mind, available now for pre-order. Uh, I, I mean, I have many members of my family who look darker than this girl, right? And yet she is saying that I, in particular, am being targeted for the anti-black racism in this country. Why? She's saying this because racial grievance has currency. It carries social currency. If you can claim in any way to be a member of an aggrieved group, you get certain privileges in school, in the culture, from the government. You will get certain advantages. And if you can't claim that kind of racial agreements, you'll be at a disadvantage. So she lied, she made it up, and now she got caught. Many more people will do it. Racial grievance is big 
business right now. You're seeing it in the infighting in the BLM movement. So, you know, we've covered BLM by large mansions and we've, we've covered the head of that, Patrice Cullors, who recently had to step down because she was caught buying multiple gigantic homes, some in Beverly Hills, some millions of dollars. And it became clear that this was a grift. This was a con. This was a way to, I think they raised $90 million last year for BLM. They have 60 million cash on hand. And now some of the other breakaway BLM groups, BLM groups that are not under the umbrella of the national organization, they want a piece of the action. Namely, Michael, Michael Brown's father. So you remember Michael Brown was that kid. He was a young, a teenager who had just robbed a convenience store. And then he was, uh, he charged a cop, grabbed the cop's gun, and then he was shot. And he, it was uh, dis, dishonestly reported that he had his hands up and he said, hands up, don't shoot. That didn't happen. Confirmed by grand jury, by multiple autopsies. That just didn't happen. But now the family of Michael Brown is asking to get a little piece of the action from the BLM National Organization. You can hear more about all sorts of this kind of stuff on the Candace Owens podcast right now. Download and subscribe to Candace, the audio podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review to keep her podcast trending in the charts the same way that her name is always trending on Twitter. Also, my friend Georgia Howe, the Daily Wire's very own, is a former teacher and a liberal who saw the ideological indoctrination sweeping the nation and bravely took a stand against it. In her new show, Office Hours, she offers us her unique perspective as a former leftist, which you can now get anywhere you go with the Office Hours podcast. Subscribe and download Office Hours with Georgia Howe on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you you choose uh, and get ready for the ultimate listening experience, no matter where you are. We'll be right back. The race hustlers are fighting with one another, and they're not fighting over justice, and they're not fighting over philosophy. They're fighting over cold, hard cash, because the BLM national organization raised tens of millions of dollars, almost $100 million, and the smaller BLM groups want a piece of the action. So the, the most notable person in this fight is the father of Michael Brown. A New York City group is, is focused on this, but also the father of Michael Brown in Ferguson. He was the, you know, the teenager who got into the altercation with the cop on the street. So when I, when I heard that Michael Brown Sr. was going after the BLM organization, I, I never thought that this would be this guy waking up and deciding that actually this racial grievance is, this is a bad thing and we need to change our tactics. No, I I knew it was always going to be just that he wanted a little more money out of it. And turns out I was right. Uh, There's a memoir out by the uh, mother of Michael Brown and by the, I don't think they were married, but by the girlfriend of Michael Brown Sr. And this, this book is called Speak the Truth and Shame the Devil. You'll notice that whenever these uh, poor kids are caught up or teenagers or whatever are caught up in in an officer involved shooting and no matter how justified the shooting, all of a sudden, family members come up, come out of the woodwork. Family members, and they say, we demand justice, and what they really demand is a paycheck. And that's what we're seeing with Michael Brown Sr. All the evidence, if, if tr- Michael Brown's mother is to be believed, is that this guy was a real piece of work. According to the memoir, he was a violent abuser. This is the father. Uh, he forced a shotgun into Michael Brown's mother's mouth during a fight so far down her throat that she choked. 
Uh, she writes in her memoir that, that she could hear her two chil- their two children with, with uh, Michael Brown Sr. crying downstairs as this man was pointing a gun at her. At one time, he smashed the windshield of her car with his fist. He repeatedly beat her in front of the children. He cheated on her. He's a deadbeat. He refused to get a job, all according to the memoir. And then one time, right in front of, of Michael Brown Jr., he took her and threw her into a TV. Uh, now, I'm, I'm just going to take this woman at her word. I, I don't see any reason not to believe it. And, and Michael Brown Sr. has not done a very good job denying these charges. It makes you feel pretty bad for these kids, for someone like Michael Brown. So Michael Brown was committing crimes too. Michael Brown reached for the officer's gun in Ferguson. I don't think the officer had any, any alternative than to do what he did. However, this kid obviously comes from a horrible place because his father, according to all evidence, is a complete and utter degenerate. And now the father is demanding justice and millions and millions of dollars, all according to racial grievance. So this guy, a complete, by all accounts, just a complete deadbeat, a complete drain on society and worse, a violent abuser. And yet he's going to be held up as a hero. If you read the mainstream media accounts and you don't read this woman's memoir, this guy, he's the poor, aggrieved father and the victim himself of racial injustice. No. The reason that they do this is because he is useful to the current ruling elite. And so they're going to use him to push their narrative. And uh, when they come up with a new narrative, they'll, they'll find some new guy to push that same narrative. It doesn't matter the facts on the ground. They won't be held to account. The lack of consequences for elites and for preferred groups brings about huge injustices. Maybe you you saw this story. This was a few weeks ago. An 18-year-old guy was caught on camera on a little nighttime camera over a bed or over a crib kidnapping and murdering a four-year-old boy. So you can see it's really terrifying. He goes into the the room, nabs this kid out of bed. He's sleeping next to his brother, a four-year-old boy. And then the boy, sometime later, is found beaten to death, dead on the street. The suspect's name, the suspect who we saw on camera, is Darren Ronell Brown, 18 years old, uh, strongly suspected of murdering this four-year-old boy, Cash Gurnan. Thankfully, he's been charged with capital murder, which carries a life sentence or possibly the death penalty. Now, how did it get this bad? The reason I bring this up is is not even to talk about the current charges. Obviously, the guy deserves to fry. There's no question about it. Uh, And it would be good for him to fry. It would be rehabilitative to him to uh, contemplate his own own eternal soul. Uh, But uh, this isn't the first time that he's done something like this. This guy, Darren Rennell Brown, is also accused of walking into a Dallas home on February 8th and grabbing a young child. The police say he broke in and he rummaged around. Then he punched the homeowner after the homeowner confronted him. He would picked up the man's two-year-old granddaughter. The man was able to get the girl back. And then, and this is the weirdest part, the homeowner didn't want to press charges at the time. He told the police that Brown had apologized to him later. Now, first of all, the police should have, pre- I mean, the, the DA should have pressed charges anyway, no matter what the homeowner wants. If some guy busts into someone's house and grabs a two-year-old girl, and then there's an altercation to get the girl back. And then, and then the homeowner says, actually, never mind. No harm, no foul. The DA, it is their responsibility to press charges. But what you're going to hear from a lot of the prison reform crowd and all the people who say, actually, it was society that made this guy beat and kill a four-year-old child or try to steal a two-year-old child. What they're going to say is, look, we need mercy. 
we're a merciful and compassionate society. And in our mercy and our compassion, we're going to let this guy off the hook. Where's the mercy and compassion for Cass Gurnan? Where's the mercy and compassion for his family? Where's the mercy and compassion for this two-year-old girl that thankfully he, he didn't manage to steal her? Where's that mercy and compassion? These are real consequences here. But because, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm shocked that they released the guy's description. Or I, that's going to advance harmful stereotypes, right? According to the Austin Statesman. It's going to, you're not allowed to do that. But this has horrible, the, the bizarre racial narrative that the left has grabbed onto in this country is having horrible effects for people of all races, for justice in the country. And it doesn't matter. No consequences whatsoever. No, there will be no consequences for the DA who didn't push charges. None at all. I hope there are consequences for this, this guy, Darren Ronell Brown. Maybe there will be, maybe there won't. Now, the, the racial narrative that they're pushing, of course, is uh, that, as the commenter observed at the top of the show, that whiteness is a sort of stand-in for sin, and that's why it's a, we need a permanent cure to it, and we need to abolish it, and this is what we're told now in, in corporate boardrooms, in university campuses. There is legal anti-white racism. You're seeing it from the Biden administration. The Biden administration's COVID relief package, almost $2 trillion, has several provisions that discriminate against people on the basis of race, including one that provided forgiveness of the Paycheck Protection Program. This is a program to small business owners to keep their, their workers on staff. Uh, it would forgive the, the uh, loans for socially disadvantaged farmers. And what that meant was non-white farmers. So if you're a white farmer, you have to pay back huge loans. If you're a non-white farmer, you don't. That is racial discrimination. It's specifically anti-white racial discrimination. So in April, the Texas Agriculture Commissioner, Sid Miller, sued the Biden administration and said that this violates Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. It obviously does. A a federal judge uh, right now has ruled that the USDA's use of race-based criteria in the administration of this program does violate the right to equal protection under the law. But the USDA is fighting back and they're going to try to advance this and they're going to make all sorts of arguments that actually in the name of racial justice, you need to punish white farmers and you need to reward non-white farmers. Why, why are they doing it? I suspect they're doing that because uh, they, they recognize that this sort of, of a policy, this sort of a narrative will upend America. If you can say that America and the people who built America and uh, the people who look like the people who built America and the people who are in any ways descendants, that they're evil, that they're rotten to the core, then you provide an opportunity to upend society. This is a, a process that has been spelled out by very prominent leftist theorists and has gone down through the ages, a process that I spell out in my upcoming book, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. I, I suspect that most people if you presented this to them, most people of any race, if you presented it to them, you go up to a Hispanic guy or a black guy or an Asian guy, and you say, hey, do you think it's fair to punish white people and to reward black people? I suspect the majority of everyone would say, no, I don't think that's fair. Maybe some people would say, yeah, damn right, it's fair. But I, I, I bet you that the majority of people across demographics would say, no, that doesn't seem right. And yet that is the rule. I bet you if you pulled the majority of Americans, you said, do you think this is right? They would say, no. So, so how is it that the actual governing policies of our democracy seem so different than what the people would actually like to see? 
Why is it? Because the elites are not representative of the people. Who are the elites? Is it, is it the senators? No, I don't think so. I don't think, is it the, you know, the president yeah, to a degree? Sure. Is it the, this, is it the, that? The elites are part of the liberal establishment. They can be in media, they can be in universities, they can be in government, they can be in corporations, they can be in big tech. They have much more power than, say, a Republican senator. Here's the proof of that. Republican Senator Ron Johnson just posted a YouTube video. We can't play it. We are not permitted to play. If we play this video, we will be taken off of YouTube. In this video, he opined about the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. These were medicines that have been said uh, are useful to treat COVID-19. Doctors have said this. Scientists have said this, but not the leftist scientists and not the politically approved scientists. So Ron Johnson, a U.S. senator, goes out and he says, hey, we should, we should talk about this. We should talk about the use of these drugs. YouTube takes him down. Nobody ever elected YouTube. Nobody ever uh, put YouTube on a ballot and said, yes. And in YouTube, by the way, as part of Google, controls the flow of information around our public sphere. They are the place where democracy happens, right? Where, where politics happens. They say, no, a, a duly elected sitting U.S. senator, sorry, you're out. Now, you're going to hear the squishes say that uh, this is actu- actually wonderful. There's nothing more American than allowing a handful of woke oligarchs to, con- to dominate and control our politics. That's, a- that's what James Madison intended, darn it. That's freedom of build your own Google or whatever. But obviously, obviously, people have a political right in a self-governing republic to have a say over how information moves around the sphere. We're allowed to say that we should be able to speak without being impeded by these woke oligarchs. But it's very confusing for the squishes because they have been just totally brainwashed by 20 years or so of stupid Republican talking points, which you can read about. You can read about that whole process in my opinion, speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. Who is the misinformer here? Who's the conspiracy theorist? So many things that we were told with certainty by the liberal elites have turned out not to be true. Remember when you could be banned from social media for saying that very likely the COVID virus leaked from the Wuhan lab? Remember, you could be banned for saying that. We said it anyway, and fortunately we survived, but a lot of other people did not on social media. Well, now that would appear to be the most likely explanation. The uh, fact-checking websites initially said this is false, 10 Pinocchios, this is totally false. They've had to edit their fact-checks because the facts apparently turn out to be true. Who are the misinformers here? Seems to me that it's the liberal elites. This from uh, Dr. Stephen Quay, who uh, points out on this question of whether uh, COVID is a natural virus or not. He says the odds that this is a totally natural virus, one in a billion. I'm a scientist. I've looked at this from a straight scientific point of view, not, you know, personalities. And there are just so many signatures and so many events that are consistent with a, a lab leak. There's, there's literally no fact that, is a, that we know of that is similar to a previous natural zoonosis. So, um, you know, my, my analysis gets into the one in the billion 
chance here that this could have come from nature. Virologists have done work over the last 20, 30 years, and there's probably seven or eight jumps from a, an animal virus to a human every year in Asia. They burn out. They don't, they don't cause any sort of disease. There is one lab leak per year. That's documented over the last 30 years in Asia. So it's an eight to one ratio out of the box. So uh, I, you know, for, for January of 2020, when I heard that there was a wet market associated with this, I was saying, okay, that sounds familiar. And then I heard that that the 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 the, the only BSLA four laboratory mm -hmm. and the place where 60% of all the coronavirus research has been published in the world comes from the Wuhan Institute of Virology is you know three kilometers from the PLA hospital where the first patient was. That switches your that switches your probabilities you know overnight instantly. Sorry, sounds too scientific for me. I don't think that's too much for YouTube. I don't think you're allowed to say that sort of thing. Who are the misinformers? Who are the conspiracy theorists? The, the, what they told us from the beginning, even at the point of censorship, has been proven wrong time and time and time again. Are they going to face consequences? No way. I do think there is some glimmering hope that this ruling liberal elite will eventually be held to account, at least to some agree, degree. The glimmering hope, Florida, baby, Florida and South Dakota, the Americas of America, the land of the free, where we can still breathe the sweet air of freedom, the economies of those two states are not only back to where they were before COVID, they're actually better. They're stronger than they were before COVID. Right now, the economy of South Dakota is performing at 106% of its pre-COVID strength. Florida performing at 101% of its pre-COVID strength. Other states tend to be a little more conservative. States like West Virginia, Nevada, Montana, Iowa, Arizona. So not totally, you know, completely red states, but still a little more conservative. Uh, they're, they're doing well. They're still below their pre-COVID strength. But South Dakota and Florida, two states that were basically open the whole time, took a very... Uh, skeptical approach to all the lockdowns and, and basically just kept society moving, uh, they're doing better. Why? I, I can just tell you anecdotally, because every event is happening in South Dakota and, and much more so in Florida. I've been to Florida this year probably six times. Why? Because every political event that is allowed to occur is happening in Florida. And I was in South Dakota a few weeks ago because some political events are allowed there too. And other, I, there are no political events really in New York because New York is still shut down or California or anywhere else. I'm about to go back to Florida in, in just a few weeks. People are voting with their feet to a certain degree. And I mean, you can see it here. I'm living in Tennessee. I used to live in California. COVID was the straw that broke the camel's back and we got out of there. That is a hope. The hope is that you see these sensible places uh, growing in strength and growing in confidence. Now that, that will lead to what many have called the balkanization of America, or it could lead to that. And that could create some national problems, but the states themselves are going to be asserting their own rights. And that's a good thing. It's great that we can test it. And you can see actually Florida did much better than the places that locked down. Now there's a, a downside to that too, though, which is, I don't think this is the permanent solution. I think that ultimately when these states get a little too free, when these states get a little too sensible, the federal government is going to come in. I mean, this is, 
This is so much of what you're seeing with the, the growth of the public health bureaucracy, the growth of the, the racial grievance ideology that is, is often enforced at the federal level, and the growth of these woke corporations that have more political power than many elected officials, which operate, as Mitch McConnell said, like a sort of parallel government. Uh, they're going to clamp down. And some people are going to try to stand strong, like Christy Nome is going to try to some degree, or Ron DeSantis is doing a pretty good job at it. But ultimately, I, I do fear that even given a handful of Republican, really tough conservative states, the liberal establishment is just so strong. It is not enough to say, we'll just go to your own states and we'll just have federalism. No, we've got to gain national power too. We've got to push back. You know, the, the federal and cultural uh, the, the federal policies, rather, have such huge cultural effect because they've got so many resources. I mean, you, you know, during COVID, the federal government puts out all these extremely uh, abundant, ample unemployment benefits. It's part of the reason right now that employers are having a tough job getting people to come back to work is because they've had very good benefits. So there's a report out now, according to Axios, that uh, street gangs and foreign criminal syndicates may have stolen up to half of the unemployment benefits paid out during the coronavirus lockdowns. Half of it, half of your tax money, massive, massive transfer of wealth stolen by criminals. Is, is anybody going to pay for that? Is anybody going to be held to Nope. Oopsie daisy. Whoops. Sorry. Sorry. This is what we've heard for decade upon day. Oh, we got rid of your, we, we shipped your, all your manufacturing jobs overseas. Oops, yeah, I, we sort of had to or whatever. Sorry, too bad. Deal with it. Oops, your communities have been totally hollowed out by drugs and you're end up ended by mass immigration without any sort of assimilation. Whoopsie daisy. Yep, that's just the way it is. Nope, no accountability. Oops, we gave half of your money to criminals. Yeah, whoop, oops, sorry. Whoopsie daisy. The RNC is very slowly, very slowly, starting, I think, kind of to wake up to this. In, in terms of the presidential debates in, in 2024, the RNC is now saying they might skip network television debates if they are not dramatically overhauled. This is a very good sign. Not because this is going to be the game-changing issue, the presidential debates, you know, to some degree, who cares? But it's a symbol of the larger problem, that the right plays on the left's field according to the left's rules. The fact that Republican candidates for president, especially during the primaries, but even during the general, would go onto these leftist network debates and let leftists dictate the, the priorities of their own party or even of the general election is insane. Obviously, these networks are not objective and they're not nonpartisan, but we continue to play along with that. And as Republicans play along with that, the only effect that they can possibly have is to be the court jester in the kingdom of liberalism. The only thing that they're going to do is legitimize the ruling liberal establishment that is accountable to nobody. And that's it. And that, that's all there is. They, it's even worse than doing nothing because they're giving credence to the idea that we actually have a functioning two-party system in the country, when in fact we don't. We have a liberal establishment and we have a group of people that basically try to, you know, put up a show of opposition, but really just go along to get along. Before we go, I've only got 33 seconds left. I've got to point out 
you know, AOC made this whole claim that Donald Trump kept her abuela's uh, relief money in Puerto Rico away from her and she was living in squalor. And then Matt Walsh and the Daily Wire crew over here raised $100,000 to fix abuela's roof. And then AOC on behalf of abuela called GoFundMe and shut down the whole thing and kind of proved the point that, that it was never about AOC's grandmother or anything like that. I was just a cheap talking point. Well, headline right now from AOC's aunt. This is in the Daily Mail. Uh, it's a problem here in Puerto Rico, not with Washington. AOC's aunt says Trump is not to blame for lack of aid to the struggling island after the congresswoman bashed the former president for damage to her grandmother's home. I was just totally made up. The whole Abuela thing was just completely contrived and uh, fake. The arguments that AOC made about it, just not true. She just lied and won't face any consequences for it. We're all, we're all Jeffrey Tubin now, aren't we? We're all, you know, I think pleasuring oneself on a Zoom call is probably the, the most precise description I've ever heard for our ruling elite. How sad is that? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. An MSNBC host claims that most American school kids are being taught that slavery was okay. A new report details the rash of suicide attempts by adolescent girls during lockdown. A female student comes out as a guy to her classmates. A lobster diver claims he was swallowed by a whale. Sounds very credible. And finally, an NPR article blasts Tom Hanks for making too many movies about white people doing good things. That's very problematic, as we'll see. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.